Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer look back on the territories and delve into world-class championship wrestling. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories special. Welcome to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories. And this one is one of my personal favorites, world-class championship wrestling. We're going to talk about it top to bottom and who better to do it with me than my partner in crime? You hear him at 9 a.m. each and every morning. Eastern time right here on Busted Open. It's the innovator of violence. It's the landlord of the house of hardcore himself, the one and only Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I thought we were doing the jobber one, but we're going right to world class. I should have changed my shirt. But anyway, let's talk world class championship wrestling. It was phenomenal. That's- <laughs> it was phenomenal. There's no doubt about it. And I say it, it's my personal favorite territory because it really is. Um, if you look at the innovation of world-class championship wrestling, you know, the way that they filmed the mics, you know, near the ring, they did it completely different, shot it completely different, Tommy, than any other territory. And a lot of what they did is still used on TV today. Absolutely. And the beauty of it was it's, I guess, uh, movement forward always like with production with it had somewhat of a big time sports feel with Bill Mercer being the uh, the commentator, bringing the camera into the ring. They did so many things that are different, but really made it stand out. And it went from I would like to say a regional, just basically Texas promotion. Uh, You know, it was purchased in what, like 1966 uh, by Fritz von Erich. And then it just kind of blew up. And I always talk about when we, you think of the territories, you, I find it so amazing that in one section, one state, you can have wrestling literally seven nights a week uh, running in all these different towns and like every house doing really, really well. And here's the thing when you look at world-class championship wrestling, because when you look at world-class championship wrestling, you mentioned Fritz von Erich and you have to talk about Fritz, Fritz von Erich when you talk about world-class championship wrestling. But, you know, from 1966 to 1981, it was big time wrestling. It didn't become mm-hmm. world-class championship wrestling until late 1981 and really the big years of world class was from 82 to 86. By 1986, you saw the decline. 87 and 88 were definitely decline years. So when you look at the heyday of world-class championship wrestling, Tommy, it was really only four years, but those four years were historical. Yeah, and when we go back to quickly the production, you know, that was Keith Mitchell. He was uh, involved in that. And then from world class, he went to WCW. He shot every episode of Nitro. From there, 
He went to Impact or TNA, whatever you wanted to call it. Well, it was TNA first. He shot all of them up until he just went to AEW uh, and shot has now shot every episode of AEW. So Keith has been a pioneer as well as kind of being like, uh, I know for a lot of us, when you're dealing with stuff in the truck, he was like, a, if we go mafia terms, a conciliary to uh, what's going on. And what he brought to the table, well, like you said, is still being felt and seen today. But those boom days, I remember, you know, when we saw uh, Gino Hernandez take the one-man gang's chain and break the Cadillac. Or, you know, we, we discussed uh, on a previous podcast the steel cage when uh, Terry Gordy closed it on uh, the head of Kerry Von Erich, costing him the shot at you know, they brought the cameras in there, but you could feel those atmosphere. We, we, we talked about, look at the swarm of people hugging the baby faces and just this boom period of pro wrestling, which is all based upon, you know, the Von Erics as the baby faces and all the evil counterparts to the Von Erics because there was, I don't feel, looking at it now, but back then, there was no drop-off in baby faces. You had your Von Erichs. You had whoever was going against them. But you had your Bugsy McGraws, your Spoilers, your Jose Lotharios. Everybody who was there was a star. And the people were into those matches, even like the opening matches, you know, if it was a Frank Dusick uh, versus a Brian Adias or, or whoever those opening matches are, everyone who was in that territory was considered a star because of that great television they had as well. And like, I'm glad that you said that because like a Brian Adidas who, you know, early on, I guess you can look at it as almost enhancement talent, but then grew and grew. And then you saw him just get better and better in the ring. And that wasn't lost on the fans. They saw that too. So that a few years later, you would buy him into being in a main event match. That's what was great. It's almost like, you know, like a football team before free agency, you know, how they got built by the draft. You had a last place team, but they started building different pieces to the puzzle. And then, you know, two years, three years, four years down the line, a team that maybe was a horrible team was now a playoff team. And then maybe even a few years later, a Super Bowl team. That was the same thing in world-class championship wrestling. Like you could have somebody on the undercard and then three or four years down the road, they're in the main event match. That's what I love so much about world-class championship wrestling. And Tommy, you mentioned it. It was a regional Dallas Fort Worth promotion, but it was a national promotion. I mean, it was, it was huge. They did tours into Israel because world-class championship wrestling was so big and you could make the argument if they wanted to, they truly could have been a national product before Jim Crockett promotions and before the WWF. Absolutely. Um, I remember watching it every Saturday uh, in New York on Madison Square Garden at five o'clock. And then it moved to seven o'clock uh, just because sometimes there's a lot of Yankee day games and this is when the Yankees are on it. And it just, it did, it boomed. And for exactly what you said, I remember it, in the greatness of how simple it was, if you had Fritz von Erich, who was this established wrestler in that market, uh, and then he had his young sons, they would... If you were a baby face, you were a friend of the Von Erich. I remember King Kong Bundy first coming in and he was from Alaska 
and he was this like lumberjack Alaskan guy that they found and the Von Erichs were like, well, let's train you to be a wrestler. And then what happens? He of course turns uh, on the Von Erichs. And, and, you know, Brian Adidas was another one. He supposedly, I don't know if this was true, went to high school with Kevin Von Erich. I'm going to actually ask Kevin Von Erich that. But uh, they attached their other baby faces to their top acts and it really, really helped them for when they turned. And you think of the groups, Devastation Incorporated, H&H, you know, Gary Hart was always the nemesis. And it was perfect because Gary Hart, who was the older guy, he hated uh, Fritz Von Erich. So he also brought in all these other guys to beat up his sons. If it was the great Kabuki, um, the Magic Dragon, all these different guys would come in to go against the Von Erich. So, I mean, it was such a simple formula, but yet done so, so well. And I remember seeing like the first time they took it to Israel and they were, it was like a president or the Pope coming to the country, like flocks and flocks of people. And showing that footage too was kind of different because now you're saying like, wow, people love this company so, so much. You know, and they had memorable cards in the Cotton Bowl, they had memorable cards at Texas Stadium. You know, everyone remembers the first uh, parade of champions in 1984 where Kerry Von Erich beat Ric Flair to become NWA champion in front of 42,000 fans. But when you think of world-class championship wrestling, because you saw it each and every week on your television, and that was the Sportatorium. When you talk about historical venues in the history of pro wrestling, Tommy, uh, just like the ECW Arena in Philly, the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas is right at the top of the list. Absolutely. I remember the, one of the first times I ever went to Dallas, I wanted to drive by the Sportatorium. And it was just like this old ass building. I was able to see it. And I was like, man, I wish I had the opportunity to wrestle there. I was wrestling when it was still around during the USWA uh, days going in there. But uh it's no longer there, but people still take pictures of the legendary sportatorium. It's basically an empty, empty building. Uh, I mean, empty space, but uh, yeah, man, if you think about how every week people would flock to that place and uh, there's a documentary out there where they brought Kevin Von Erich through that building. It was, it was amazing. And this isn't really a, a conversation about the tragedies that have fallen world-class. It's kind of all about the positives of the territory of world-class though the tragedies kind of led to the falling of it. But to me, it's more about the celebration of this amazing, amazing territory. And I'm glad what you said, Tommy, because there's been so many documentaries about the fall of world-class championship wrestling and the tragedies around world-class championship wrestling. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the triumphs of world-class championship wrestling. And when you think about world-class championship wrestling, obviously you think about the sportatorium, but you also think about the family behind it. And that's the Von Erichs, David Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich, Kerry Von Erich, Mike Von Erich, Chris Von Erich, the father, you know, Fritz Von Erich. We'll get into all that. And probably the greatest feud in the history of pro wrestling. And we'll do that when Tommy and I are back. Remembering the territories, it's world-class championship wrestling right here on Busted Open. 
You're listening to Busted Open's Remembering the Territories World Class Championship Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Anthony Smith on MMA Tonight. Is this now the moment where everyone's looking at Justin Gaethje as maybe the best lightweight on planet Earth? Justin Gaethje is fundamentally better than Tony Ferguson, so I'm not sure if they ran that back, if it would look much different. Maybe that was the Gaethje effect. Like, maybe it's not Tony. Maybe he didn't have an off night, and Justin Gaethje's just good at making people look bad. At this point, there's a strong argument to be made that Justin may be the best 155-pounder on the planet. Tuesday through Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM Fight Nation. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories World Class Championship Wrestling Special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open Remembering the Territories with my tag team partner, the handsome Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, talking about World Class Championship Wrestling today and my personal favorite territory when you think of all the elements. And it kind of reminds me, of ECW and not just a hardcore style. And we do know world-class championship wrestling at times could be that strong style that we see in Japan. But, you know, a lot of the elements that's missing if you watch it on the WWE Network, just like ECW, you know, the music was a huge aspect of world-class championship wrestling. You know, when you think of the Freebirds and you think of, you know, Freebird by Leonard Skinner playing and, you know, you think of the junkyard dog with another one bites the dust and carry Von Eric, you know, to uh, Tom Sawyer. Music was a big element of world class championship wrestling. Oh, absolutely. You know, as you're saying it, I have uh, visions of Kerry Von Eric in white Daisy Duke shorts, cut off, wet hair, oil on his chest coming out to, uh, what was it, that White Snake video, riding the horse on his, they would always do those videos uh, leading up to like a big match, and that was for him going to take on Ric Flair. And if you watched it today, you'd be like, this is how you're promoting this guy, <laughs> the toughest guy in the world, and he's just slow motion. It looks like it would be a joke today, but yeah, man, all those videos. Uh, I remember they did an Eye of the Tiger video uh, to that, but there were so many different elements and what you said, I think is the best were the feuds, the feuds. And we've talked about this so much feuds and angles are what really drew the business of professional wrestling back then. And even though they went to the well a lot, it was because it still worked like the Freebirds and the Von Erics. Like I said before, the Freebirds came in as the Von Erics friends. And then all of a sudden they turned and it wasn't like a classic turn where all of a sudden they just jumped them. It was over that Christmas night uh, match that we went over on the podcast where Terry Gordy slammed the cage on Kerry's head, costing him the title. But Michael Hayes was trying to be indifferent. But once you turned on Yvonne Eric, you were immediately hated because they were so loved. But like Devastation Incorporated uh, feuding with them or Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams feuding with them. Gino Hernandez was always kind of the heel, but Chris Adams, if you remember, came in as Kevin Von Erich's friend. Yep. And then he turned on him with a famous super kick. Uh, all this different, it's so easy because as uh, sadly a lot of people know, your friends do turn on you. And in real life, and that was always portrayed against, you know, the beloved Von Erichs. And we talk about greatest feuds. And I think when you make a list of the greatest feuds of all time in pro wrestling on 
or near the top of that list is going to be the Freebirds and the Von Erics. And like, it's, like you said, the Freebirds came in as friends of the Von Erics that quickly changed that Christmas night. You and I did a watch-along to Carrie and Ric Flair in the cage uh, from Star Wars at the Reunion Arena on Christmas night. You can see that watch-along, or you can hear that watch-along on the Busted Open podcast. Please uh, click and subscribe and like. But honestly, Tommy, you look at that feud, even though it went on for years, it didn't matter. That was one of the greatest feuds because it never got old. It never got tired because you had so many compelling personalities and characters in that feud. And it takes, you know, the heel and face to tango to make it. Michael Hayes was just amazing, you know, with that over-the-top personality and wise-ass character. And he had Terry Gordy as the muscle. And Buddy Rogers, Buddy Roberts is just like that mind that knew how to get under people's skin. One of the greatest feuds of all time. Oh, dude, absolutely. I say it's top three in the Tommy Dreamer world, which is uh, Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan, Tommy Dreamer Raven, the Freebirds, and Bruiser Brody versus Carlos Colon. Those are my top feuds. We'll do a whole podcast about that one day. But um, we talk about uh, feuds and how they made things special. Uh, Another guy, and, you know, learning stuff about the business was a lot when, who was booking and a lot of it was uh, Gary Hart. And then when he left, David Manning uh, had a piece of the book. Bronco Lubitsch had a piece of the book. Uh, when you say it minded you of ECW, that is kind of profound because if you think about it, like I've heard, well, Bronco Lubitsch also had, a, he had a town that he helped promote. And when we've had uh, baby doll was on, she said her parents had a town that they helped promote for world-class so it's all these group of people. And then when you went to that town, like her father, you know, was a referee. She used to do stuff. It, it did have that family element to it. But everybody who came in, like, worked. It would be like you, were, you owned a little piece of the company in the sense of if your house was up, you'd get paid more. Uh, so, I mean, stuff like that is just, like, I love that because you see, like, again, the rise of it. But, yeah, man, the I'm trying to think of once the Von Erichs, like while they were there, who was another top super duper babyface? No one could surpass them. And it would be different today because everyone would be like, oh, it's because they're the sons, all this stuff. Yep. But they really were good athletes. They really were draws that were going out there and working. Uh, I've always said this, Triple H gets a lot of heat. Uh, he, not so much anymore, but back in the days because he married Stephanie McMahon. But at one point, Triple H was the best heel in the business. And it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you could back it up in the ring, the fans would accept you. And I think that's why the fans accepted the Von Erich so much. And they also all complimented each other so well. And like the breakdowns of it were Kevin was the high flyer. Kerry was more of the brawler and the muscular guy. And David was the all-around great wrestler. And, you know, he was the one primed. He was the bigger brother. He was the one primed uh, and ready to be the NWA champion. And that's another beautiful thing that they always did was they fought for a prize. There, there, it was the America's heavyweight. Uh, the America's title was the number one regional title. But when Ric Flair was coming into town, guys would fight for the bigger prize. And to me, that was pure genius because you also – you had the great, if it wasn't Harley Race, I associate world-class more with Ric Flair because of his amazing battles, but Harley Race was 
in the mix a lot while he was champion too. And it made that NWA title so, so special. And that's what's amazing about world class because, you know, Tommy, every, every territory had their hot baby face that you wanted to see become NWA champion. You know, like in Mid-South, it was the Junkyard Dog for a while. Then it was Terry Taylor. You know, in Georgia Championship Wrestling, it was, you know, Tommy Wildfire Rich. We can go all around the country at the top territories. But with world class, it, was, it wasn't just one person. It was an entire family. You know, you know it could be Kerry Von Erich. It could be David Von Erich. It could be Kevin Von Erich. You know, uh, it didn't matter. They were just all as equally popular. And, I'm, you know, we're going to get Kevin Von Erich on here in a few minutes. Can't wait to talk to him. I'm sure he's got stories about, you know, the fans and how they would claw at him when he would go to the ring. You know, Gil Brandt. And, and Gil Brand, if you don't know the name, he was the scout and your know, player personnel director for the Dallas Cowboys for decades under Tom Landry and Tex Schramm. And I had a conversation with Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt, not a wrestling guy, but he knew the Von Erichs because he even said it to me. He said there was a time where the Von Erichs were as popular as the Dallas Cowboys. In the mid-'80s, the Cowboys were a mediocre team. So you look, that was the height of the popularity of the Von Erichs. So he would tell me that they were on par with the Dallas Cowboys in the Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas area. Think about that. That really tells you how big that family truly was. Dave, the first time I got to meet Kevin Von Erich was when he came to Impact Wrestling when they did a pay-per-view there. And they had his sons on the show against uh, – the Von Erichs and Kevin was in the corner. And when Kevin got announced, the place blew a gasket. And I, it was just like, and that was so many years removed from world-class championship wrestling. But like I always say, wrestling fans never, ever forget. And even his hall of fame speech was spectacular uh, and he got an amazing, amazing reaction there for someone who really was never on WWE television. Yeah, it's, it's crazy when you really think about just the popularity of that family and that promotion and how much it meant for Texas and the economy. And, and unfortunately, when the economy did take a nosedive in the late 80s, world-class championship wrestling went along with it. But, you know, you mentioned Kevin Von Erich, and Kevin Von Erich is a WWE Hall of Famer, but he's more than that to me. He's an icon. He's a legend. He's truly a hero. And when we come back, Tommy, we're going to talk to that hero and legend. Kevin Von Erich's going to join us right here on World Class Championship Wrestling, remembering the territories on Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Remembering the Territories World Class Championship Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. 
Dave LaGreca, and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer look back on the territories and delve into world-class championship wrestling. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories special. Welcome back to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories. And Tommy, as I said, my favorite territory of all time, world-class championship wrestling. And who better to talk about it than one of the legends, one of the heroes of world-class, the one and only Kevin Von Erich. Kevin, how are you today? I'm good, David. How are you, buddy? I'm great, good man. This you. is like, I'm, I'm talking to Kevin Von Erich from my house. Are you kidding me? This is like a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure glad to be here. And, and Tommy, it's good to see you again, too, my friend. Likewise. I'm so today. excited to talk to you. I haven't seen you in a while. Though I feel like I'm part of the Von Erich family because you're my favorite person to follow on Twitter because of the boys and diving off the cliffs and your grandchildren. You're a very uplifting person. And if there ever a time we need to be uplifted, you need to follow Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> I agree. Just nothing but fun. That's, I'm, the, I'm in charge of free time here. That's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my job is to stay relaxed. <laughs> oh, wait, wait a second. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm getting a phone call here. Hold on. Does this song remind you of anything, Kevin? You know, the... You, Mark, he's playing Tom Sawyer. No, I'm not. What are you playing? I can't hear it. It's Stranglehold. You get oh, it, okay. It's my... It's, Stranglehold. It's my... Yeah, you know, we played... Uh, Tom Sawyer was Curie's music. That's yeah, Stranglehold. He played that. Kevin Von Erich. You terrible Mark, Tommy, I swear. <laughs> Hey, don't get on to Tommy. I, I, he's my buddy for sure. When I went to TNA, I was uh, that show I did for TNA several years ago with the boys. Uh, Tommy's, uh, Tommy, I was looking for a chair, and uh, Tommy came into that room, and he, he gave me three or four chairs. He told me, he said, get up. This guy paved the road for us. And uh, I said, I like this guy. He was <laughs> just about, my buddy. It's all, all about night. respect, man. It's all about respect. You know the business. You were brought up the right way. Come on now. Tommy, that's right. I, I did like that, and I appreciate it too, buddy. That's uh, who's doing the shoes on my on the other foot now, because I'm the old man and uh, watching these young tigers out there. But it's hey, it's a great seat here too. <laughs> Kevin, uh, can you explain to our listeners uh, a big like we're talking about the territories? Was an average week for you like what shows you guys worked? But like you know, Ted, we had Ted DiBiase talking about Mid South. What was an average week being a wrestler in world-class championship wrestling? Uh, well, you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to work seven days a week. You know, we would we'd work, and sometimes twice on Sunday, you know, because we, we, we had such, uh, such excitement. They wanted to run as many shows as possible. And, you know, I, there was a time where I was working two or three shows a day, you know, and, and we'd have to charter a plane for that. But, you know, we – we're so much, so much. Guys that were in the territory, you know, they would work uh, Dallas and Fort Worth, and then there was a, a, a TV in Austin and Houston was a Thursday and Friday nights, and so. Uh, but the rest was just, you know, uh, you, uh, towns in the WCCW that we had run called spot shows, and then with uh, with Mid South just right over there, it was pretty common for the guys who work a few shots for Mid-South, too, during the loop. You know, we just wanted to keep all the guys working, you know, as much as we could. And so with, with Mid-South over there, it was easy to do. And 
plenty of road trips. <laughs> nice. You're oh, you're on the road a lot, but for fans like Tommy and I, you know, Tommy from New York and myself from New Jersey, you know, watching World Class Championship Wrestling every week, you know, it was the Sportatorium, and that venue meant a lot to pro wrestling fans. You know, what do you think of when you hear Sportatorium? You know, the history of that venue, if you could describe it to us. Well, you know, uh, when people talk about it now, I think they kind of sensationalize a little bit the other way because it was, you know, yeah, it was an old building and it was, uh, it didn't have insulation and it was, uh, but, you know, and there's a lot of things I say, but I think the guys, real, everybody that worked there, I think really loved that building. It, but it wasn't dirty, like, uh, I mean, it didn't stink, it, like people say, but because the food was really good in the Sportatorium. We had tacos and uh, hamburgers and, chill, and cheeseburgers and french fries. And, uh, and then, you know, with your crap, your, uh, your uh, cotton candy and Cokes and all that. But, you know, it was, a, it was a good place to eat. You could really have dinner there, you know if you didn't mind, you know, corny dogs and tacos and uh, cheeseburgers and all, but they were good. And uh, we wouldn't have sold that much food if the place stunk. It didn't stink. It was just old, you know, but was, it was clean. It was old, but it was clean. So. What about the fans? Like, you know, the fans that would be at the Sportatorium. The one thing I always remember watching it on TV was like, there was like a, a string around the ring that held the fans back. Talk about like when stranglehold would hit and you would be coming down that entrance ramp to the ring. What that? What emotions were going through your mind? Well, you know that's another thing. I'm glad you brought that up, Dave. I, uh, what we, we when we look at what we're doing out there, I want the people to have a good time. That's what we were. We thought it was important, and the little kids, especially the little kids, you know they're going to go home and they're going to tell their parents about what they had and what they liked the most about the show and all. We thought it was important that they're able to touch us get up to the ring and uh, sign their autographs and, and even stand on the apron. We couldn't get in the ring, but it was okay with me for them to stand and all of the rest of my brothers to let them get up on the apron and not, and be treated like, you know, like it, like they're just little kids. And it was just, uh, I think it was important to do to have them like that and increase the excitement. And so, you know, the entrances went, uh, came off great with the music, but, uh, by all the kids getting up to touch you, they're not going to hurt you. They all have pins and you might get poked or whatever, but, but it's, it's worth it. It's, they're going to have a great time. And I wish they'd go back to that. I know they're worried about insurance and all, but the kids aren't going to hurt us. I think it's a, it's really good to go ahead and, and the, you know, the kids, that, that's all they have. They have a lot of fun when they come in the ring like that. So I think we were really on the mark when we did that. It's funny when you talk about the business back then when heels were allowed to get, real heat all you had was a string that prevented you know marks from hitting the ring but yet today when you have uh heels who can't get heat they have barriers and security to prevent uh wrestlers uh fans to go after wrestlers when if you think about it you really should just have a string because no real heels could actually get heat anymore because you're not allowed to huh yeah well, what do you think that's from, uh, Tommy, kind of an insurance uh, worried about being oh, sued, oh, you I, think? Uh, I have gotten sued on my own show because a guardrail hit a fan. But, uh, yeah, I think it's for insurance and also uh, just those, like you said, it's, it's a lost – there's lost pieces of the business that are so, so 
needed. Uh, I'm happy that they're starting to bring back managers because they're such a key component to the business. I just think through time, it's just like world-class wrestlers, you know, your family were such stars, but the fact that I was able to touch a star to me made why world-class was so, so special because you guys were actually ascertainable to your fans. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that, Tommy. Yeah, that, that is what we're shooting for, for the kids to be part of it. You know, because a lot of time the kids, the, they don't have a picture or they don't really have the money to spend. And so you got to sign a ticket stub or even a, a piece of a little scrap of paper, you know, anything. But at least they got something in their hand, you know, and they didn't have to pay for it. And so, yeah, I'm glad we did that. And I, I wish they'd bring more of that out, too. In uh, the history of world class, everyone equates the the Freebirds and the Von Erichs feud when Terry Gordy slammed the steel cage into uh, Carrie's head, which was an amazing angle. Uh, do you think that was when the, the territory clearly popped or you did your best business? I'm sorry, I missed a very tip. Did I think that was Carrie's what? Do you think that was when the territory popped or you did your best business? Oh, no, that was a great angle. It was just, but it was just another angle, Tommy, to tell the truth. You know, I, I hesitate to go on about uh, the free birds because I don't want to take anything away from Chris Adams and Gino. Those guys were a great tag team. And you know how Israel just set on fire over there. It was like, right. we've got such a business there. But those, uh, they never even saw the free birds. You know, it was all uh, Gino and Chris. And so, uh, and they later on they did, but all that excitement was over Tino and Chris. And so I want to give those guys some credit too. And not to mention Kabuki and Dragon. We had a lot with those guys and, uh, you know, so many, so much good talent came through, but that was a super good angle that, uh, with the, uh, chair, I mean, with the, uh, slam of the cage door and, uh, Santa Claus and all, it was, it was really good, but well, I don't want to take away from Chris and Gino because they were, they were just, Chris was one of the toughest guys. I know, you know, there are a lot of tough guys in our business, but Chris would, he, he was so, he was good. Yeah. And, much, oh, oh, go sorry. ahead, Tommy. I'm sorry. Uh, I know, you know, the company always had bookers, but how much did your father just let, like, let's say Gary Hart uh, just book or did, did he have a lot of influence on what was going on as well? Or did he just handle like the business aspect of it? Well, Gary was good because he was, uh, he knew a lot of people and, uh, and that's what you want in a book or you want someone that knows, uh, knows a lot of people that we could just move them in, move them into the, into the company. And it, it worked uh, really good. Gary was good for that. And he, but as far as, uh, uh, oh, I don't want to take anything away from Gary. He was, had a good mind and he was, uh, uh, all the guys, I said, that's his number one, uh, advantage was it how well he got along with the boys now i know gary was not is not a real popular guy but uh but he was popular when if you everybody wanted to work world class you know when we're going the big numbers and so and so knowing gary was uh important i mean if you knew gary you had a a leg in a leg up and so uh gary was great he was probably i think probably the best booker we have wow you know, Kevin, when I look at some of your greatest matches and, you know, if I had to make a list of my top 10 favorite matches of all time, one of those matches would be you and Chris Adams at the Cotton Bowl. I, I, I thought that match was absolutely phenomenal from 1984. Do you have a favorite match of yours? Is there one match you look back on as one of your favorites? 
Well, boy, that's a funny question there, Dave, because, you know, doing so many wrestling matches, the 19 years in wrestling so much, believe it or not, if it's not on television, you'll forget it. It's just too many of them. When you, when you see TV, oh, that one. But I just forgot so many. But uh, it's funny that, you know, the matches some people may remember are, are hot matches and all, but I can remember, like, clean matches. Uh, I had, for instance, uh, Billy Robinson, and that's a match that's on YouTube. I, I always admired him. He has a, he's a great mind for the business. I thought he would have made a great champion, too back in those days, but uh, I had a good match with him. I just saw it on YouTube the other day, and and uh, so I'd have to say that's one of them. I'd just be a great name like Billy, but then there were so many good men that I wrestled with, but darn it, if it's not on tape, I can just barely remember it. Tommy knows what I'm talking about without the, t- without the TV. Yeah. You just, it just might as well never happen sometimes. Yeah. Too bad. That's the good part about social media, fans will send you clips of what happened. I was like, man, I even totally forgot I had that match. <laughs> Me too. Isn't that something? <laughs> you know, Kevin, something that we talked about before you joined us was how important Bill Mercer was in the history of world-class championship wrestling. And, you know, he's kind of forgotten about as far as some of the greatest play-by-play announcers in pro wrestling. And then I also mentioned Mickey Grant, who was a director for world-class championship wrestling. How important were those two people in world-class? Well, Dave, I'll tell you something that no one knows. I, I haven't ever told anyone this, but uh, I feel the same way. Mickey Grant and, uh, you know, Mickey was creative, and Bill, but Bill Mercer was, was our voice, and he was a great man. One of the, he's a legend. You know, he was one of the only newsmen around when JFK, during that assassination, and he was there and on the spot, and, you know, he took it and ran with it. And he was the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. He's always in the right place at the right time, it seemed like. He was a great man for us. You know, when I got out of wrestling, I say got out, when I was starting to wind my career down. In the 90s, I wrestled a lot in Mexico City and in the Caribbean. People wondered where I went. But uh, I went down to San Jose. I took Mickey Grant and Bill with me. And I was negotiating a, a TV deal on Repertol. It's There's a channel down there. It's three, six, and nine, but it's one company. And it's the, uh, <clears throat> it's um, in San Jose, Costa Rica, and it's, it's sports, news, everything. And so I, I was putting the show out there, and these guys were really hot for the show, wanted to put it on. And uh, I learned something so crazy. It found out, uh, it turns out, and actually in third world countries, they're not so concerned with high ratings. They, they're not concerned with the ratings at all. It was all about getting their person elected president. Like that's why you own a TV station in, in Central America is because you've got someone you want to have elected as president. And that's really, they own, it's like, I guess that's a, a, a trick. They all know, they all do, but that it, and that's what I learned down there in, 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 in Costa Rica, that they, it's, they could care less about ratings. It's all about getting their man elected. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You could say the same for, uh, in today's society about the news, but that's I know it. I, about I wrestling. That's that why it. I like to live in our world of wrestling. <laughs> I know. I know it. Isn't that something? Kevin, I'm going to ask you two straight-up Mark questions that a young Tommy Dreamer needs to know. Are you ready? Okay. Let's have it. Straight up Mark questions. Number one, did you and Brian Adias go to high school together and were you were you uh friends in high school? Yep. 
As a matter of oh, fact, Kerry and Brian yes. were uh, best friends. Kerry was in Brian and Kerry was in Kerry's class, and Brian was. Uh, uh, they were both running backs and really good running backs. Kerry was the fullback and Brian was the tailback, and I think they both got a thousand yards. Um, two running backs get a thousand yards. That's really something. Wow. And, uh, and uh, Brian was the uh, family friend for sure. And he was, you know, like a little brother to me because he and Kerry were always together. But, yeah, uh, and I was glad Brian got into wrestling. But once he uh, he had an angle with me, you know, it was business. And, you know, we went savage there, you know. I had some rough yeah. matches with him. And I'm glad for it because he's a tough guy, and he, and he would dish it out back. I hope he's doing okay. I think he went to prison, but he got out. And he's like a – he's a good man now. And he, he was a good man then, but he's uh, – he had some problems, and he got he's all through them now. So if you see Brian Adias out there, watch him. He's a good athlete, and I don't know if he's still wrestling, but he's uh, but I admire him the way he carried himself. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I remember that whole feud and everything with you. But if you talk about we were talking about it earlier, the beauty of world class, and to me, it's always storytelling. It's good versus evil, and the Von Erichs were always good, and somebody betrayed them. And it would instantly be a top heel for the company. And, and that's how you drew a lot of money. But it was so simple. And if you first came in, like even like I said, a King Kong Bundy was found by the Von Erics, And then he turned. And like that simplistic booking was money all the time. And it's, it's yeah. a story as old as the Bible. You know, good versus evil. I agree, Tommy. That's exactly right. That's really. And you saw, I don't think we did that uh, purposely. It was just... Uh, it's just that's the way it came out when you're putting something together, good versus evil. The people can sink their teeth into that. They understand it. And when you take real, real points like like brotherhood, like uh, right and wrong, I mean, it, the people can sink their teeth in that. They feel like they're part of it. And it, 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 that's one thing I think they're neglecting nowadays. They, they don't have that aspect. And I think that was imp really important for, for us, for the people to get behind you, you know. My second Mark question is, and this is urban legend, you were facing three men. You put a claw on one, a claw on the other, and then picked up your foot and put a claw with your foot on the guy's head. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Tommy, that sounds great, and I love to claim it, but I never put the claw on anybody with my foot. But that's, <laughs> well, thank you, though. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I didn't, but I want to say I just don't remember that. <laughs> um, Jack Victory told me that story, and he said it was uh, he was one of them, and he got the claw from the foot, and I was just like, I don't know about that one. So, uh, yeah. and then it, now, it's of course passed through the years. If both of my hands are, are occupied and, and I have to do something, to, that's why I took my, feet, my boots off, you know. It's not necessarily to uh, – it, it was to be quicker and move around better. But, you know, Tommy, I, would, I could pull hair with my feet. I could hold on to the ropes. I could do all sorts of cheating stuff that, you know, <laughs> you can't do with boots on. So I would do anything I could to get through that match, yeah. And, and having my boots on was like handcuffs to me. I needed to, if I needed to pull the trunks or pull the hair, I did use my boots, my toes, yeah. It's so funny. I'm watching World Class today on the WWE Network, and they, Bill Mercer asked you, how come you took the boots off? And you were just exactly the same answer, which is so real. You're like, 
that's just me. I like to be barefoot. I like to do things without it. And it's the same answer today. I love it. Yeah. Hey, Tommy, you know, Kerry, too. Kerry uh, liked wrestling barefoot. And I believe Kerry would have wrestled barefoot and handler for that, that injury. But right. you see lots of videos with Kerry wrestling barefoot. I would say a lot of them. I've seen three or four of them on the TV. Yeah. Uh, I know back in the day, there was always like, who could be the next NWA champion? Who was the, the top guy for the company? In your opinion, I know it would be hard, in their prime, who was the best all-around athlete, yourself, Kerry, or David? Um, or for the family, well, you know, there's whole, all different ways to define athlete, you know I mean? Um, all-around uh, worker. Probably the most versatile because I, you know, I, I was a high jumper and a high hurdler and a, a, a sprinter and a fullback. And I also did discus and shot. And, uh, and, and a, a lot of my brothers were like that. But I think, I hate to brag, but I, I was the most versatile, I'd say. But Kerry was uh, a great football player, uh, a great discus thrower, and a great wrestler, you know. So, and then Dave. Dave was, a, you know, devoted with what he did. He's that. Uh, the way Dave was with basketball, practice, practice, practice. That's the, his, uh, his mantra. You know, anything that you're short on, you practice and you'll get good at it. You, you pour your heart into it and, you'll, and you will achieve. And that was uh, Dave. So Dave and Kerry were both, I don't want to take anything away from them because they were both super athletes. But, I, uh, but when it comes to versatility, then I, I think I would, would maybe get that one. But uh, what a great wrestler he was. And, uh, and, and Kerry was uh, just a phenomenal athlete all around. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to ask me that. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what he was, he was, and, and you know, I, I don't take anything from Mike either. My, I just was looking at, at a newspaper article the other day that, you know, we have a bunch of, we brought over from Texas. And I saw where Mike was in a, a track meet in junior high and he broke, uh, he was in five events, and he set five meet records, wow. and three of them were records that he himself, himself had set the year before in, in seventh grade. And so he was a phenomenal athlete. We we're just so busy wrestling, we didn't have time to, to really watch him, but Mike was something else. I, I, you hear these videos, of Mike wasn't an athlete, but he really was, uh, and a really good athlete too. Now Chris, Chris wasn't. Chris had the... Uh, the asthma and it, it hit him really hard, but not Mike. Mike was a good athlete and was on his way when he got, you know, when he, when he died, right. he's coming back. You know, you know, Kevin, how important were the wrestling magazines? You know, Tommy and I did an episode about, you know, with George Napolitano and Stu Stacks and Bill Apter, you know, how important were those wrestling magazines to the popularity for you and to get your name out there to an audience that might not have been able to watch world-class championship wrestling. Yeah, that's kind of the, the wrestling magazines were never really, they didn't really get down to world-class. So they pretty much handled New York and that area up there. And it's kind of like they're just kind of held the way it was, you know? And so, uh, but that was just kind of their way of uh, promos, I suppose. I mean, getting people over, but we didn't have a lot of, uh, the, the magazines come down come down to Texas. Now, once we started wrestling, then Bill Apter and George Napolitano, I, that's how I pronounce it, I don't know, but and Stu and those guys, uh, you know, started coming down then. But before that, they, we didn't we didn't have uh, wrestling magazines come down to Texas. That was just a northern thing. But it, it started up soon. And and with some other guys who, uh, 
uh, those Japanese, uh, the, those, oh shoot, I'm coming up. The I Japanese can't remember the names, but we have some good Japanese men work for George and uh, Wally, Wally Yamaguchi. He's yep. another good name. Wally yeah. Yamaguchi with the Japanese baseball magazine and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Wally. Yeah, we started doing the magazines later on. That was a, not until we, we, uh, we really caught on but the magazines started coming down then and the Japanese magazines too. That was, uh, yeah, that was an aspect of it, I suppose. I, and we, we didn't have a whole lot of magazines down here in those days though. Kevin, I want to ask you about your sons because they were good enough about a year ago to come in studio with us, you know, Ross and Marshall Von Eric, who are doing great things with MLW wrestling. And, you know, how, how do you feel they've progressed and they've created quite a buzz with MLW lately? I'm so proud of them. The way the ratings have come up from the, since the boys came on is just a pat on the back. When, when I see it, I'm just so proud of them. And they tell me, and the company, the, the heads of the company will tell me, you know, how the ratings are doing and the market share and all. I'm so proud of the boys. And the way, uh, the way they come on, they're doing it right. They keep their word. They just, they're as solid as they get. And, you know, here out at Pam and I have just, they take care of us. You know, they pay the bills. They, they they feed us they they just do everything and it's what a way to live i just get i delegate the authority to my sons and it was the best decision i ever made pam and i just live here and they just take care of everything they the cars the feed the branch the uh the sheep the any any building we have to do they're all over it and i just it's a beautiful life out here right, that's boys. two good sons that's two good sons you have kevin that's awesome to hear uh, Kevin, yeah, thank you, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. This is like a, a bucket list for me to be able to talk to you today for this special and to talk about world-class championship wrestling. We truly appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Dave. Anytime you guys want to do a show, call me. I, I've had fun every time we do this. <laughs> Kevin, honestly, man, you're, you're a living legend. And I say it from when the first time I met you, you opened the doors and paved the way for so many, you and your family. You made people fall in love with wrestling. And uh, I just want to say thank you because of what you and your family did for so many. Man, thank you, Tommy. God bless your heart. You say the, the most encouraging things. I, I, I sure appreciate our friendship. I'm, it was a pleasure for me to get to know you. And you too, Dave. You guys are just number one. Anything I can ever do with you guys, um, um count me in and let me say to the to the viewers out there thank you all for still remembering me after all this time we're going to get through this I, I know this virus has got us down but it's going to be go it, it, it's it's passing it will be fine it's going to go and we have summer coming and from what i understand the temperature and the sunlight kills this thing and so it's going to be great everybody let's cheer up and love each other and let's have a great summer this has been Busted Opens, Remembering the Territories, world-class championship wrestling special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.